it's fun to, to laugh, yeah? Yeah, and those are pretty bad jokes. I have 150 of them if anyone wants to read uh, any of them. It's, uh, it's, I can't believe how many bad dad jokes there are out there. There's tons, tons and tons. Um, let's pray. Will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father God, thank you for this day. And Father, as we celebrate uh, Father's Day, I can't help, Lord God, but just to direct my thoughts on how an amazing Father you are. Never gives up on me. Loves me unconditionally. Loves me so much that you would send your one and only Son to die in my place so that I could be set free, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have a new life. Thank you, Father God, for pursuing me all the days of my life. Lord, speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So we have been going through the book of Romans, and uh, today I just I was kind of contemplating, do, do you do a Father's Day uh, message? But to be honest with you guys, especially you dads out there, the best dads that we can be is by knowing the Word of God. And I don't want to necessarily give some frilly, you know, Father's Day message, some rah-rah and three points to being a great dad and all that stuff. I really feel convicted, and I, this is kind of even the whole point of me uh, feeling like it's necessary that we look at the book of Romans, is I feel that our culture, I feel like our society, that we are getting further and further and further away from the truth of God. We, things, that line is starting to get grayer and grayer and, and wider and wider. And we truly, if you even ask the average Christian what they believe, you'll get all different types of answers. But the thing is, is there is only one truth. And the Bible says that that truth will actually set you free. That truth isn't brought in to bring you into bondage. That truth isn't so that, you know, it could be some wet towel, you know, to damper your, you know, have you having fun. Paul it continues to talk about, listen, the law isn't there, you know, so that you would be put in bondage. The law is there to set you free. And how do you know if you're set free if you don't know the truth? So how dare I stand up here and, and give you some three points to being a good dad when I can just preach the word of God to you because that word will set you free and that word will teach you how to be the best version of yourself. Amen? So let's look at Romans. We're going to be actually only looking at two chapters today. Boy, three chapters has been tough. I, mean, I thought I could scream through three chapters at a time, and I feel like I'm running a, marath or running a sprint. We're only going to look at Romans 7 and 8 today. So if you want to open your Bibles, if you have your apps, or uh, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It kind of, it flows very easily. It sounds like Paul's just talking to us. Um, but just to give a little bit of history, a little bit of backstory, Paul the uh, apostle, all right, is writing to a church that got started in Rome, all right? And you can actually uh, trace it all the way back to the day of Pentecost, which is where, for the very first time, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and they were filled with the Spirit, and then Paul, being, you know, filled with the Spirit, goes out, and he preaches, 
and he talks about, you know, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it, it says, you know, over 1,500 people got saved that day. And I would imagine that a lot of them, you know, there was a lot of Jews who were from, uh, coming from other places. They were all there together celebrating the day of Pentecost. And there had to have been a group that went back to Rome and they were so on fire for God. They were so filled with the Spirit themselves that they started a church in Rome. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen movies about Rome back in those days or read books or anything like that or even remember your history, gladiators and things like that. Rome, especially at the, around the time of Jesus, especially at the time, uh, the day uh, of, you know, this is happening with Paul, Rome would have been a sinful, sinful place. They were, they had many gods and in fact, they believed that, hey, whatever you believe is great. That's kind of what the average Roman believed. And does that sound familiar? Hey, you guys, all roads, all roads lead to God. You know, whatever, whatever whoever your God is, whatever. And, and the, the truth of the matter is, is that's a lie. That's not true. And we know because Rome fell. Rome, you know, even the Rome itself having all these beliefs that felt good at the time, it didn't last. But what did last? Christianity lasted. In fact, it's still going strong. In fact, it, it is one of the religions that continues to grow and grow and grow, and it doesn't need a culture or a society to help keep it propped up. As long as you're preaching the truth, the good news, you're going to see Christianity pop up in all cultures. In fact, it's one of the few, think about it, it's one of the few religions that brings everybody together, that brings all walks of life together, that no matter what your background is or where you came from or even the color of your skin, Christianity says we are all God's children, all of us. It's one of the few religions that says that. Rome is, or, uh, Paul is writing this letter and he's encouraging this church just like us. And just, you guys, just like us, the church in Rome must have been facing a lot of questions, a lot of, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what, is, you know, what does the word of God have to say about this? Well, how should we live? And, and Paul writes this amazing letter to the church in Rome. And that's why I felt like, you know what? We need to hear it. Because what applied 2,000 years ago to that church still applies today. And if anything, our culture, our society, we're starting to become more and more and more like Rome. We're starting to be, yeah, whatever it is that you want to do, whatever makes you happy. But what's interesting about what Jesus preached and even about what Paul preaches, and you're going to even hear it in these two chapters, it's not about what makes you happy. It's about everlasting life. That's the difference. Happiness today or everlasting life, what do you choose? And Paul talks about that. Let's dive right in. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. No longer bound to the law. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law... Don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. 
But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is set free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Now, let me explain to you, Paul was speaking to mostly Jews, okay? And Jews only knew of the law. And I want to tell you something, it's not just the Ten Commandments. Jews had hundreds and hundreds of rules. You have to do this on this day. You can't do that on that day. You can only walk this far on Sundays, you know, blah, 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 blah. It went on and on and on. If you read even the book of Leviticus, which is in the Old Testament, and it is a lot of those rules and regulations and laws that they were lived by, it is overwhelming. Just reading that book, I felt the weight. There is no way. It is impossible. And God, by the way, knew it was impossible. But, but what Paul is trying to say is, listen, you don't, you're not bound by that law anymore because you have now died with Christ. The moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the old person dies. And because of that, you also die to being under the weight of that law, of all those rules, of all those regulations, of all that strict, you know, you got to live this way and you got to eat the right thing and you got to wear the right clothes. We no longer are bound by that anymore. When you have died, you are set free from that. And Paul uses the illustration, just like a woman whose husband dies, she is now free to remarry. You have been set free. You are no longer bound to that. And you want to know what, you guys, so often, and I'm going to be very honest, sometimes with myself, I seem to put myself back under that law that, you know what, maybe God will love me a little bit more if I just, you know, obey him and if I just, you know, have this checklist in my mind of all these things I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to act or talk or dress or something like that, that maybe God will love me a little bit more. And that's such a lie. Because the law is now gone for you. You now have a relationship with him. And just like a father loves his children, your God loves you unconditionally. There are no more conditions. Those conditions are gone. Verse 7. God's law reveals our sin. Well then... Am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. 
But sin used this command to arouse all kind of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would would not have that power. At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. You guys, we're living in a time, and I'm already seeing it, where people are starting to throw out the rules. I've even heard of a church, and not just, it's not just even this one congregation, I've heard of a whole denomination on the East Coast that is throwing away the entire Old Testament. They're saying it's irrelevant. They're, they're saying it's not for today. They're saying we're not bound by that anymore, and, and, and there is some truth to that, but they're missing the point. You don't throw it out. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to throw out the law. I came to fulfill it. I am the fulfillment of the law. You're not bound by it anymore, but it still is there for a reason. It still exposes sin. If we take away the law, it would be like taking away a light. You'd be stumbling around in darkness and you'd run into things and you wouldn't know where you were going. It really would be chaos. It would like taking, be taking away all of the traffic signals and you're on your own. Good luck. Try to get from, you know, point A to point B with no lights, no traffic signals. There's just utter chaos. That is what would happen if we take away the law out of our culture, out of our society. There will be no, you know, measuring tape. There will be no way to say, am I doing what is right? Is, is this? But here's the great thing that Paul's trying to say. But you're not bound by it. If you sin, if you fall, you are forgiven. You have a new life. The old person has died, and there is now a new creation. You are a new creation. But we're not going to just get rid of the law and say, hey, guys, go and do whatever you want, because once we do that, there would be utter chaos and anarchy. Let's use the example of of a warning sign. You're at the beach swimming in the water. And you realize that there is a no swimming sharks sign, right? Shark Week's coming up. Anybody Shark Week fans? Shark Week. There's a couple things that I can do. Number one, I can ignore the warning and pretend there is no shark in the water. Okay? I can just ignore it and I can take my chances. Two, I can be mad at the warning and blame my unhappiness on the sign. Man, I was going to have a great day today at the beach, but that sign, it ruined it. It ruined my day. Now look at me, I'm unhappy. Sound familiar? Is that why you're laughing? (laughs) Number three, I can obey the sign, and I can be thankful that someone warned me of the danger and continue to live my life making right choices. Do those three things sound familiar? God's law, okay, God's word, the word of God, the Bible is a warning sign. 
There is danger in that water if you go swimming in it. Yet people, even after they hear the word of God, even after they hear the warning, they will still go in and they will still play with the sharks. Or, like some Christians I know, they go, oh, my life is miserable because I have to live by all these rules. I have to live, you know, oh my gosh, it's awful. Oh my gosh. But hey, you're not in the water. You're not getting eaten by sharks, right? Or like most of us, thank you, Lord. Thank you for warning me that I was about to step into danger and you stopped me. Because I am a knucklehead and I need to be told that don't go over there. Even though I still usually go over there. <laughs> but thank you, Lord, for your warning signs. Verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So, I'm not the, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, and I'm not really the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see, it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Paul is exposing himself to us. He's showing the reality. He's saying, listen, if you think I'm holy, if you think just because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ that I'm perfect, if you think just because I can write these fancy letters to you and preach in front of you that that makes me somehow, you know, separated from you, he says, no. He gets real with us. And he says, you guys, I do the things that I don't want to do. I, I, I daily struggle. I daily fight against my flesh. It's, it seems like this constant in me that all the things that I know I should be doing, I don't do. And all the things I know that I shouldn't be doing, I do it. Paul is saying I'm human, just like you. And he's even explaining it to us that you guys... Don't beat yourself up too much because if you have submitted yourself to Christ, if you've asked Jesus to come in and forgive you of your sins, then all you need to do is recognize that that's sin. That's what it is. It's sin. And I will continue to die to it every single day. I will continue to say that is sin and I will die to it. Every morning I wake up. 
That if you get in that type of habit, if you get in that type of rhythm, it, you're never, let me tell you, you're never going to be perfect in this life. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. You're going to mess up because there is sin. But remember, Jesus died for that sin. He died for that sin so that you can be set free. Romans 8. Romans 8. Verse 1. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's you. No condemnation. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you're not condemned. Remember, you've been set free. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Verse 4. He did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. If you say to yourselves, or if you say to me, Pastor Matthew, I'm sinful. What can I do? Let me tell you something. God knew that. And God knew that you would need help. So he does something amazing. He sends his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. So that you can have the power over that. So you can have the strength to conquer it. If you've ever felt like, you know what, I would love to be a good person. I would love to be a Christian. I would love to follow the rules. But you don't know me. I can't. God knew that you couldn't. So he says, because I know that, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit will help you to make right decisions. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. The Holy Spirit will give you the strength when you are face-to-face with temptation that you will be able to look temptation in the eye and say, get thee behind me, Satan. That only through the power of the Holy Spirit will you be able to do that. Verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit, the spirit, gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit 
living within you. When we ask Christ to forgive us of our sins, you guys, when we submit ourselves to him, when we believe, as as Paul even said, all we have to do is have faith and believe that he sent his son Jesus, that all we have to do is believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross, that he died and that he rose again. All we have to do is believe. And when we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. You guys don't have to do this on your own. And I know a lot of you are facing horrific things. Horrific. Some of you are facing things, brokenness in your own family. Some of you are seeing death happen all around you. Some of you, you know, work is work, (laughs) you know? Some of you are battling things in your own physical body. Your own physical body seems to be at war with you. But we have a hope. We have a hope that despite all of those things, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and not that God takes you from those things or remove you out of that. But what God does is he gives you the strength to walk through it. Amen? He gives you the strength to stand in the storm. He gives you the strength to walk on water in the raging sea. Amen? Come on, I want to hear you. We're Pentecostal here, you guys. You don't have to be quiet. Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, that's you guys, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received a spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him, and I didn't even realize this was today, Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Jesus, you guys, never promised life here on earth was going to be easy. He never, ever promised that. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I thought that when I became a Christian, that everything was going to be great. That all of a sudden, I was going to float up off the ground and nothing was going to be able to touch me. You know, that you were able to shoot bullets at me and they were just going to bounce right off and I was just going to be, you know, like life was going to be perfect. Some utopia, you know, or something like that. But Jesus gets real and so does Paul. Paul and Jesus both said, you guys, this Christian life, it's not going to be easy. In fact, you are going to suffer just as Jesus suffered. You are going to suffer in this life. It's going to happen. But let me ask you this question. Would you rather suffer with Jesus or would you rather suffer without him? Because you're going to suffer. This world is going to attack you. You can either have Christ living inside of you or you can try to do it on your own. I choose Jesus Christ. I choose not to walk this alone because I can't. I can't do it. 
And when I've tried to do it on my own strength, I fail every single time. Every single time. Not guilty. You may go free. What would you do if you were on death death row and you stood before the judge and you heard those words imagine put yourself in that scenario you are going to go you know they're, they're going to kill you because you are a murderer because you are a, you know you've done all these horrible things but how would you feel if you heard the judge say your sins have been forgiven you are set free how would that make you feel you guys that's the the joy of my salvation that david talks about Remember, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's that moment. It's that moment when we're all chained up by sin, when we're guilty, when, you know, we've been charged with something we did do. And we stand before the judge, and the judge looks at us, and he, and he says, take those chains off. Set him free. He's free to go. You are forgiven. Everything that you have done has been forgiven. That is the joy of my salvation. That is the joy of being set free, that I, I don't have to live under that guilt and under that shame and imprisoned anymore. I'm going to be honest. For a long time, I used to think God was, was sitting up in heaven, and he had these big lightning bolts in his hand, and the moment I messed up, he was going to just, I was toast. I had that impression of God, and I don't know where it came from. I, you know, maybe watching a lot of movies and, you know, reading a lot of Old Testament stories or something like that, not understanding grace and mercy. And, and, and maybe it was even a little bit, to be honest with you, the relationship with my own dad. The, a lot of the only interaction I had with him when I was younger was being disciplined. There wasn't a lot of hugging and, and I love you. There was mostly, you know, you're a knucklehead. You're an idiot. Knock it off. And I think I had this perception of God as my father is that way. But the truth of the matter is, he's not at all. Because as I look back at my life, I've screwed up a lot. And I'm still here. In fact, he's, oh, he's even allowed me to stand in front of you and preach his word. I don't know who he thinks I am, but I'm just like Paul. I'm just like Paul. I'm a sinner too. But I've been forgiven. I've been shown grace, and I've been given a new life. And you know what? I'm going to live every moment thankful for that. And I promise that I'm no longer going to keep my mouth shut about it. I'm going to let tell everybody that I come in contact with how good my God is, how long-suffering my God is, how gracious, slow to anger, slow to anger. When I should have been beaten upside the head, he still said, I'm going to give you another chance, Matthew. I'm going to give you another chance. We have a choice. We can either live by the flesh or we can live by the spirit. The Holy Spirit, you guys, is your helper. That's even in his name. He's your helper. He comes alongside. He's your advocate. The Holy Spirit is, is there, and, and why do we not take that opportunity to live and allow him to guide us? And every single day, one of my daily prayers is, Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom, because I can't do it on my own. I can't. Holy Spirit. All right, verse 18. Yet... 
What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for, the, for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, right up to this present time even. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. You guys, the proof is all around us. Even the earth is groaning. Even the earth is slowly dying. Even the earth is saying, Christ is coming back. I mean, look at the devastation around us. My spirit, if you guys walk around and you'd say, listen, I'm a Christian, but I don't know what it is. I seem to feel a heaviness a lot. I would say to you, that's the Holy Spirit who's telling you, yeah, that's because the end is coming. That's because the world really is crumbling. But that should tell us, you know what? That should be a reminder that our time is short and we better get busy. We better get off the couch. We better turn the TV off. We better put our phones down and we better get out there and start sharing the good news of Christ with our neighbors, the people that live around us, with the homeless right here down the street underneath the freeway. We better get busy because he's coming back soon. All right, I'm going to skip for the sake of time to verse 31 and then we're, we're done here. Verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we, if we have trouble or calamity or, or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? That is hope. That should fill you with joy. That nothing can separate you from God's love. Let me tell you something. I have two daughters There is nothing they can do to make me stop loving them. There is nothing they can do. Now, they can do things that may disappoint me or they may make choices that make me sad, but I will never, 
ever, ever stop loving them. In fact, I will do whatever it takes to let them know how much I love them. I will follow them. I will chase them. I will hunt them down so that they know how much their dad loves them. And if me being human love my children that much, how much more does our Heavenly Father love us? How much more does our Heavenly Father love us, Gary? You guys, you need to hear this today because I feel like there's some of us who still wrestle with how much God loves us. I feel like there's some of you who still say, yeah, but you don't know me. That there's some of you who would even say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. But that's what Paul's trying to say. It doesn't matter. Paul even says, I'm one of you. I'm just like you. I'm a sinner. In fact, he even says in 1 Timothy, chief of sinners, worst of the worst. Paul murdered Christians. But yet he's still used by God. And I would even say the same thing. If I were to share with you my past, if I were to share with you the things that I've done, the awful things that I have done, but yet God still uses me to preach his word. Because that's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves me and that's how much he loves you. He can use you. So, if you are doubting the love of God here this morning, stop. Okay? Stop. Stop doubting God's love for you. Will you guys stand with me? We're going to sing one more song. And I want you to just receive that love here this morning. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's going on in your life, that you would simply let Father God pour out his love upon you this morning. Will you do that? As we sing this last worship song, will you just spend it with your Abba Father, your Daddy God? Gary, Greg.